Good folks, we're embarking on the gripping journey of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire today, coupled with the visual delight, the Game of Thrones TV series. Oh, it's a roller coaster of emotions, isn't it? The book serving as our map to the intricate world of Westeros and beyond, with dragons, white walkers, and everything in between. Absolutely, Ava. But it's not merely a fantasy, it's a fascinating study of power, betrayal, and honor. Just to draw a quick comparison, imagine the raw, unforgiving, yet immensely captivating reality of Westeros in the books. Ah, the books. With the poetic detailing of Martin's narrative, you're transported right into the heart of the action. Indeed. And then we have the TV show, where the world comes alive on screen. It's like the bindings of the book are replaced with an immersive cinematic tapestry. And let's not forget the characters. Oh, so complex, bound by their virtues and vices. Yeah, we'll soon unthread some of these epic character arcs as we delve deeper. Here's to a journey through a world where every line blurs, every hero has a touch of villainy, and every villain has a chance for redemption. So, shifting gears towards Martin's narrative style, it's truly like watching a master artist at play. Absolutely, Ralph. His eccentric eloquence weaves a stellar story, with each line pulsating with his signature meticulousness. He's a grandmaster of suspense and unpredictability. How many times have you flipped a page only to gasp in disbelief? Oh, countless, Shu. And it's not just shocking. It's those subtle nuances embedded within his words. I've noticed his reliance on an omniscient narrative voice, lending a unique flavor to each character's point of view. Oh yes, Ralph. Each POV character is so distinctly drawn. You're not just reading about them. You're living in their world, facing their battles. And can we talk about how masterfully he balances plot lines? Multiple threads leading us through a maze of politics, love, and war. True, Shu. He smartly interweaves these threads, resurfacing at unexpected moments. It's like random dots connecting to form an intricate pattern. And let's not forget the layered symbolism. From the Iron Throne to the Wall, objects in Martin's world are never just tangible entities. They hint at deeper truths, teasing our imagination. Ah, the duality of Martin's world. The tangible and the abstract, the seen and the unseen, coexisting in harmony. A poignant storyteller indeed. Well said, Shu. Martin's narrative is a splendid cocktail of intricate plotting, deep characterization and immersive world-building. A testimony to his storytelling prowess. Absolutely, Ralph. And some credit should go to his poetry-like language. Its gravity and articulation are bound to leave you spellbound. Yes, the man has set the storytelling bar immensely high, leaving us lost in the pages of his genius. Now let's delve into the actual translation from book to screen. The challenge there lies in the vast expanse of Martin's text and condensing that into hour-long episodes. Exactly, Ralph. The imagery in Martin's narrative, for one. Our imagination tends to conjure up vivid scenes, but the TV series had the task to visually reproduce that catering to a global audience. And they did brilliantly, didn't they? Those soaring dragons, the wall. It felt as if the books had sprung to life. Absolutely. Although the scriptwriters had to navigate the substantial character arcs, some stories worked seamlessly, while others deviated, causing a few raised eyebrows among readers. The gravitas of Tyrion, for instance. Did the screen fully capture his razor-sharp wit and complex layers? 
Well, to a certain extent, yes, but there was a noticeable dilution. Remember his interaction with Shay? In books, it was darker, deeper. Right, Chu. And it wasn't just Tyrion. Daenerys, too. Her journey of transformation felt rushed in the series, perhaps? Could argue so, yes. But let's also appreciate where they expanded. Arya's training in Bravos was fleshed out more on screen, adding new dimensions to her character. A nice variation indeed, Ava. From page to screen, the transformation requires informed deviations and adherence. It's quite a delicate balance. Indeed, Shu. The series did open up the narrative in some places while trimming down on others, reflecting the strenuous intricacies of adaptation. So speaking of deviations, I always found the portrayal of Sansa Stark quite different. Her on-screen presence was way more pronounced than in the books, don't you agree? Absolutely, Ava. In the series, she's more headstrong, isn't she? However, in the books, her character evolves subtly, often lost amidst the grand narrative scheme. I see your point, Ralph. Much like the butterfly effect in Chaos Theory, a minor manipulation in a character's journey can lead to profound consequences in the narrative. Quite a computational conundrum, I dare say. Ah, well put, Shu. And we mustn't forget Jon Snow's pivotal role. In the series, he's almost like a tragic hero. While in the books, he's still an enigma, with unpredictable turns awaiting. Agreed, Ralph, and that's exactly the allure. The ambiguity surrounding Jon's destiny in the books keeps us hooked, while his on-screen saga tugs at our heartstrings. Oh, and I adored the Hound in the series, much more than in the novels. The series brings out his vulnerability so poignantly. On that note, let's remember, adaptations aren't clones. The series isn't a carbon copy of the novels, it's more a mirror, reflecting yet distorting, creating its own hues and curves. Absolutely, Ralph. It's the creator's interpretation that brings such diversity to the story and why we can have such fun debates. Couldn't agree more. The adaptation mirrors not just the creator's vision, but also the zeitgeist of its time. And within that, we discover new realms, previously uncharted. Switching gears a bit, I'd love to explore a lesser spotlighted yet intriguing character. Sir Davos Seaworth, the Onion Knight. What do you guys think? Ah, uh, Sir Davos, a pivotal yet understated character. His backstory, from a smuggler to a knight and trusted advisor, showcases a journey marked by tenacity and astute judgment. That's interesting, Ralph. His character, more rooted in reality, was easier to relate to amid the magical mayhem of ice and fire. His common sense, loyalty, and compassion were his real weapons, so to speak. Right, Shu. However, he was much more than just a side character. Davos's tactical mind significantly influenced key plot developments. For instance, freeing Gendry and advising Jon Snow. Absolutely. Without him, so many plot points would have taken a different turn. Now imagine a micro-series focused on exploring his journey in-depth, from his days as a commoner to being a knight. A narrative rich with internal struggle, transformation, and resilience. I see potential there, Ava. It gives room to expand on his early life, the smuggling days, his kinship with Stannis, his guilt over his son's death, and perhaps even his future beyond the series. And it's a brilliant way to delve deeper into Westeros from a different viewpoint that of the common folk, essentially offering a fresh, grounded perspective on the grand epic. Moving on, let's acknowledge the creative fanbase, with their vivid and imaginative theories. So many revolving around our Onion Knight, Davos too, 
Absolutely, Shu. The amount of creative energy that fan theories generate is nothing short of amazing. Let's delve into a few of them. One theory that caught my analytical eye suggests Davos is the fulfillment of the Azor Ahai prophecy, replacing the traditional Jon Snow or Daenerys candidates. A wild swing, but it does break down fascinatingly. Wow, that's quite a twist. Certainly an unexpected path for his character. But it's these radical reinterpretations that make fan theory so much fun. Absolutely. There's another intriguing theory suggesting Davos as the secret ruler of the Seven Kingdoms, making strategic moves behind the scenes. Makes you think, doesn't it? Indeed it does, Shu. The beauty of these theories is in their ability to reimagine intricate narratives, kind of like solving a puzzle backwards. It adds another layer to an already profound narrative. Let's not forget the endless speculations about his unseen days as a smuggler. Fans have spun intriguing tales, presenting him as a Robin Hood-like figure. Those ideas are truly a testament to the imaginative power of fans. It underlines the impact the series has had, inspiring to redraw borders of the already vast Westeros universe. Certainly it's proof of the enduring appeal and resonance of Martin's multi-layered characters and rich narrative tapestry. Going back to our minor character, Davos, my vision of an adaptation would build on his smuggling days. Imagine, Davos landing on unseen shores, outsmarting local lords, and dodging royal tax collectors. A thrilling, adventurous twist on his character. Fascinating, Ava. That's quite a venture into the backstory. Now my vision might be a little offbeat. I'm thinking of a total conversion mod. Let's make Westeros a digital playground a fully interactive and immersive VR experience. VR Westeros, that's out of the box, Ralph. Listeners, picture exploring the Hall of Faces, feeling the chilling touch of the wall, or stepping into that climactic battle of the bastards, simulated reality style. Love that, Ralph. It pulls you right into the narrative. Shu, what's your adaptation vision? Well, you both went wild. So, here's mine. How about Westeros presented as a photographic documentation? Countless images serving as a visual narrative, capturing frozen moments of life, death, power, and betrayal. Art mirroring life and fiction. That's an innovative perspective, Shu. It adds a haunting and tangible dimension to the saga. Agreed. From VR worlds to artistic compilations, our visions are as diverse as the characters populating Westeros. Indeed. And that's really the beauty of adaptations. They can retell a saga in so many creative ways extend its boundaries, and deepen our connection with it. Stepping away from our wayward brainstorm, let's add some scholarly gravitas to our session. We have with us the New York Times best-selling author, Theo Clark, famous for his fantasy adaptations. Welcome, Theo. Great to have you here, Theo. Please enlighten us about the challenges and exhilaration that an adaptation writer grapples with. And particularly, throwing light on our theme. How would you interpret Davos Seaworth's smuggler side as an independent narrative? Or decode a Westeros-like universe into a digital VR script? Or intertwine the stories of Westeros through images? As they say, a picture speaks a thousand words. Theo, we'd love to hear your thoughts on these. And more importantly, get some insights into the process behind adapting print narratives for other mediums. And how do you account for character complexities, plot intricacies, and tonal shifts? Please, the stage is yours. All right, let's dive into the deep end. 
When translating a mammoth saga such as A Song of Ice and Fire to a visual format, it's inevitable that some details will be lost. Like, you remember when Eddard Stark confiscates ice, his ancestral Valyrian greatsword? Absolutely. In the books, there was a palpable sense of betrayal, a violation of heritage. But the screen adaptation couldn't quite capture that sentiment, could it? Indeed, it was a glossed-over moment. The granularity of written emotions often gets diluted, doesn't it? Exactly. The depth of internal emotional conflicts, subtle shifts in allegiances, they risk getting diminished in the screen adaptation. Then there's Martin's brilliant use of the unreliable narrator device. In the book, several instances play with this concept, such as Sansa's unreliable memories. Hard to maintain on screen, isn't it? You got it, Shu. The element of uncertainty fuels the suspense in the narrative, but trying to replicate that in a show, it's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle. I agree. Not to mention the characters' internal monologues crucial to understanding their motivations. They're so much harder to convey visually. So the question is, in the act of translation to a different medium, how much are we willing to lose to gain the benefits of visuals? That's a tough one. I mean, how do we balance richness and detail with visceral visual impact? And it inevitably leads to the next question. Is there really a perfect adaptation? Or just the best possible translation for that particular medium? So shifting our focus a bit, let's dive into the core themes, guys. Power, honor, and betrayal. All tangled into the narrative fabric of A Song of Ice and Fire. Now, don't you think these themes ebb and flow, subtly painting the backdrop of both the book and the series? Absolutely, Ralph. Martin's genius lies in the fact that these themes never overshadow the characters. Instead, they serve to accentuate their dilemmas. Spot on, Ava. Take power, for example. From Robert Baratheon's troubled reign to Daenerys' quest for the Iron Throne, power is a daunting, often destructive, driving force. And it's not just about having power. It's about the struggle to retain it, the fear of losing it. Remember Cersei's famous line, When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. It encapsulates this theme perfectly. You got it, Ralph. Now, shifting gears a bit to the theme of honor, the quintessential example is Eddard Stark. His unwavering adherence to honor leads him down a tragic path. Oh, admirable Ned Stark. But let's not forget, his rigid concept of honor also indirectly leads to the War of the Five Kings. Absolutely, Shu. And finally, there's betrayal woven into the intrigue of the plot. Jon Snow's shocking assassination by the Night's Watch comes to mind. Right, Ralph. Likewise, Theon Greyjoy's betrayal of the Starks and Sansa's of her own father. The theme of betrayal enhances the unpredictability and ruthlessness of this saga. Well said, Ava. Power, honor, and betrayal. They truly are the lifeblood of Martin's magnum opus. It's interesting how intertwined these themes are, triggering consequences that reverberate through the series and books alike. All right, folks, we've covered a lot so far in this journey through Westeros. Plus, we've been receiving a number of questions from our listeners. Ava, would you do the honors of picking the first question? Absolutely, Ralph. All right, here's one from our listener, Ned. He writes, I've always been intrigued by the crypts of Winterfell. Do you think it carries more significance than initially let on in both forms of the medium? Now that's a great question, Ned. You know, the crypts always appear shrouded with a sense of foreboding, enshrining the long-departed Starks. 
It's an embodiment of the North's history and yet subtly contributes to the narrative's progression. There's a beautiful, intricate depth to it. True, Shu. Especially with John's lineage revealed there. In my opinion, the crypts serve as an eerie time capsule, a mirror reflecting both the past and present of the Stark lineage. Sort of, anchoring the story to its roots. But yes, great catch, Ned. Our next question is from Arya. Who do you think makes the more strategic player? Tywin Lannister or Peter Baelish? Ooh, this one's juicy. Oh, this one's tough. Both are cunning in their own right. Tywin, the patriarchal lion, uses his family's influence and resources, whereas Littlefinger, the underdog, wields deceit and manipulation like a weapon. I'd say they both are the epitome of strategy in their own leagues. Agreed, Shu. Tywin's brute force and power versus Baelish's underhand tactics, contrasting yet effective. What's your take, Ava? Well, I'd say they are two sides of the same coin. Blood and chaos aren't mutually exclusive when it comes to the power game in Westeros. All right, who's up for another one? Count me in. There's no denying the massive cultural influence of both the series and the books. Their imprints can be seen and felt across multiple platforms, from cosplay to fan arts and parodies. Even small cafeterias have been transformed into the inn at the crossroads. Isn't it amusing, Ralph, when brands remodel themselves around Thrones lore to seize the wave of popularity? Remember the disputed lands brewery that released beers named Iron Throne and Dragonslayer? Hilarious. Don't forget the video games and board games too, guys. They expanded the book's world beyond the TV series. And that's not limited to just Western pop culture. It's a phenomenon stretched across many countries, appreciated in various languages and expressions. Definitely, Shu. This cultural extension is intriguingly unique. Among my gamer friends, discussions about the politics or strategies in the Thrones world have become a routine part of our gaming nights. And be like a Stark, or don't pull a Ned Stark became catchphrases overnight. Literally, we have idioms borrowed from the Thrones universe seeping into mainstream conversations. That's one heck of a cultural influence. Indeed, it's fascinating how Martin's vivid portrayal of characters and their philosophies have inspired many real-world debates on issues like power politics, nobility, and adaptive survival. Yes, such discussions were encouraged due to Martin's layered storylines. Even data scientists don't shy away from analyzing intricate narratives and predicting character fatalities. That's just wow. In essence, A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones have transcended traditional boundaries of storytelling to pervade every facet of our lives. Now that's what you call a cultural behemoth. All right, let's get a tad nostalgic. Remember the Red Wedding? The raw, visceral impact it left? My God, Rob Stark's downfall? That was an unexpected blow. Ralph, do you recall your reaction? Oh, absolutely. In my head, I had created this data-driven mortality prediction model, you know. But nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, prepared me for that shocker. Oh, the all-too-real sense of betrayal. You know what I loved? The Battle of Blackwater. The wildfire explosion was a breathtaking spectacle. And Tyrion's bravery. Yes, Tyrion for the win. But nothing beats Daenerys Targaryen's rise to power for me. From the fragile woman sold into marriage to the fierce mother of dragons. What an arc. Yes, becoming the breaker of chains, liberator of Marine, a phoenix rising from her own ashes. And Jon Snow's resurrection. What a cliffhanger that was. 
I literally called in sick to work the next day to deal with that moment. Haha, <laughs> Shu, that's hilarious. It's these personal experiences that truly root the series deep into our hearts, right, guys? Agreed, Ava. That's what makes it iconic. And isn't it fascinating how our favorite moments are as diverse as the characters themselves? What an enriching collective experience. Okay, here's my two cents on contemporary relevance. Game of Thrones showcased the bitter struggle for power, and isn't that a reflection of our current political climate? Indeed, Ava. If we scrape away the magic, what we're left with are the human elements. Ambition, betrayal, love, honor, and the ultimate quest for power. Doesn't it sound familiar in a world obsessed with success? True, there are clear similarities. The moral ambiguities, shifting alliances, the effect of authority on character, are all too familiar. Despite it being a medieval fantasy, it somehow mirrors our reality. Uncanny, really. And let's not forget how Martin subtly handles societal topics. Racism, sexism, classism. You strip away the fantastical elements, and it deals with very real, very contemporary issues. That's correct, Ralph. For instance, I think about Sansa Stark's journey from an innocent starry-eyed girl to a fierce leader. And her transformation mirrors the rise of women empowerment in our society. Absolutely, Shu. And the Night's Watch? A band of men defending the realm from the others. It's a direct parallel to how we today grapple with immigration issues and the fear of the others. It's a fantasy saga, yet it's a mirror to our world. George R. R. Martin, through a tale of dragons and white walkers, prompts us to question and reflect upon our reality. Brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely. So essentially, Game of Thrones proves yet again how art imitates life. And there you have it, guys. Such a compelling roller coaster ride we just took. The chilling winters of Westeros to the scorching summers of Meereen, discussing Game of Thrones and Martin's Song of Ice and Fire. Indeed, Ava. We delved into Martin's intricate narratives, studied his storytelling devices, and analyzed how these elements translated to screen with varying successes. With dragons, death, and drama galore, we've had quite a stimulating episode. I absolutely agree. We explored adaptations, discrepancies, cultural impacts, even brought in some contemporary relevance. What I found most intriguing was how we all had unique visions for the characters and plot developments. Right, Shu. The potential backstory micro-series of a minor character was a fascinating thought. I'd jump on that bandwagon in a heartbeat. Same here, Ralph. And can we take a moment to appreciate those interesting fan theories we looked at? The realm of Westeros through the lens of its vast fan base was absolutely thrilling. Definitely, Ava. Also, the insights from our guest authors were incredibly enriching. So much can be lost and gained when translating characters and narratives from books to screen. Can't agree more, Shu. It's a tricky business. And with no right or wrong, it makes for some engaging conversations. Absolutely, lads. Well, that's all, folks, for this episode. Stay tuned for more of our lively chats, literary dissections, and debates on frames and literature. And remember to keep the love for storytelling alive and thriving. Until next time, happy reading and watching. And may the odds, or rather, the stories always be in your favor. Signing off now, see you next episode.